welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildboy's most inhuman work five years on. Coming next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Reuben Morehouse. That's me. And uh, this chapter, uh, Execution 13.9, for those of you who didn't read the title of this episode, um, this chapter, we continue to watch Blake as he... Uh, <laughs> As he recovers from uh, killing a few more husbands, he comes back to join the rest of his team and uh, Green Eyes immediately suspects him of the worst crime of all, hogging the food. (laughs) This bit is so good. It's good, Um, isn't it? (laughs) I think I was like, you know, legitimately just laughing out loud for maybe 30 seconds at this Mm. bit. Uh, Yeah. It's it's had so much build up for this joke. It's it's great. Um, And obviously I think it sets a really great tone. We're about to head into... Or basically half a chapter dedicated to Blake and Green Eyes's relationship. Uh, and I think this sets a really good tone for diving into that. Yeah. Um, Green Eyes is, you know, carries the first half of this chapter. Like, she's <laughs> so good. Um, and it, it feels like she's really settled into the group dynamic. And I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on why exactly that is, but it's just kind of, she's bouncing off the others in this chapter really well. I think it's just a familiarity thing. She's actually hung out with them more. She's hung out with Evan. Um, yeah. They're friends now, kind of. Um, I mean, I think they are. Uh, so I think it's just, you know, time has led to them developing. She's got a good relationship with both of them now. Um, also, the satyrs are there. Yeah, that yeah. probably helps. Yeah, the satyrs are also at a fun little beat. I wonder how <laughs> long they'll stick around. <laughs> Maybe they'll be a permanent <laughs> member of Team Blake. That'll be fun. <laughs> For everyone but Blake, yes. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, so so one of the satyrs basically fills in Blake on where the Spellbinder may be. They don't really have a good idea, but they, they kind of try and use some common sense to deduce it. So in case you didn't pick up from uh, Ruben's emphasis there, uh-huh. listeners, uh, he spelt sense as in the smell scent, like common mm. sense, but... Spell. Yeah, it's a pun that doesn't let's really move work on, in audio. <laughs> let's let's move on. It's a hilarious joke that if you can see the script they're reading off, it really works. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be tied down by any kind of formatting problems. Okay? We'll put it in the description of the episode yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about this scene with the smells, right? Because it is really good. Um. Mm. Like the, these satyr are clearly just trying to fuck with Blake, and Green Eyes is kind of going along with it just to make him jealous, and it's just <laughs> totally working on him. <laughs> I don't think she's doing that at the start, but she definitely uses it to her advantage yeah. uh, in in a little bit. Um, I mean, there's there's a bit later on where Blake is thinking on all this, and he's like, "I don't like that they were manipulating Green Eyes like that." Mm. And it's like Blake, come on, yeah, yeah they clearly weren't manipulating <laughs> Green Eyes. Green like, they're manipulating Green you. Is, is not the one being manipulated here. Yeah, um, his his lack of self reflection is. Uh, really starting to hamper his ability to know what's going on uh right here um yeah i i mean just the whole first of this first half of this chapter can really be summarized by me saying i wanted to pull out almost every single line and just talk about it yeah. everything green eye says everything evan says everything the satyrs show in with is pure gold yeah um, it's good isn't it yeah this is some of the best just like character interaction humor stuff we've had in a very long time in this story yeah, I didn't want to pull any of that out because I knew we'd just start pulling it all yes. out if we did. So I put <laughs> yeah. out some other stuff. Um, there's a bit where Blake notes that the bell is still ringing and he he kind of, he frames it as saying, uh, the bell is familiar enough at this point that it was almost like a friend goading me to take a dare. 
just do it and it'll be satisfying. Which is a worrying way to describe this bell, and it kind of makes me think, I wonder how much the bell kind of feels familiar to Blake, whether it's because it's been ringing for, you know, a while now, or just because it might feel like Molly. I mean, I guess the issue I have with that idea is that the Molly that exists right now does not at all reflect the Molly that Blake or slash Ross would have grown up with, I think. Exactly. Um... But, yeah, I mean, this is just sort of another little reminder that the Belle and therefore Molly is still a- around because we haven't really mm. seen her since uh, since Blake and her had that half-finished conversation after he ran off to kill some husbands, which he's been doing a pretty good job of all this. Like, I think she's going to have to uh, eat crow a bit and give him some credit. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess I am just interested for her to pop up. I mean, that applies to so many things. Right now, this arc has really dived into just Blake, Green Eyes, and Evan being off on their own. And, like, we have no idea what the Cabal's up to. Mm. Uh, there's there's sort of a lot of, like, oh, where are Rose and Alistair? We haven't heard from them in, like, eight chapters. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I can't wait for hopefully next arc to start diving into all these other people. Um, yeah, or speaking of eat, eating crow, we haven't seen Corviday in a while. So yeah, that's yeah. obviously a dangling thread still out there. Yeah, um, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff. I, I, I've really enjoyed diving into, into this victory over the Duchamps, this arc, but I can't wait to take a step back and see what nightmares everyone else has been going through in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, it really makes me wonder what Molly's up to, because we did have that half-finished yeah. conversation. And then later on in this chapter... Blake says something, he notices the bell again and he says like, oh, Molly must be asleep or busy because otherwise she'd definitely be here, Um, which again feels very on point, like Molly should have taken an active stake in what's to come later on. And I really think something's going on that we will see soon. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of holding on to this theory that maybe Johannes is uh, pulling her strings to an extent. Mm. Uh, and if that's the case, it might have something to do with, with that. I don't know. Because um, yep. like, as far as we know, Johannes is basically the only player who, in this whole game of this disaster of a night, has just basically been able to sit in his domain and be like, off you go, guys. Yeah, Every- <laughs> you guys sort it out and I'll be here at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I- I'm also skeptical as to whether Molly might be having some influence on Blake and stuff. You know, he talks about how eerily lucky he's been yeah. tonight. And, you know, maybe some of the credit there is going to end up having to go to Molly. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I like his interpretation of this just being because he's, like, committing to a role that, that the spirits and, and the abyss really like. And, and so he's being rewarded for that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I guess we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think explicitly that's kind of what happened last chapter with uh, the yeah. Benevolent. But I, beyond that, it's kind of hard to tell whether his good luck is because of the role he's playing or just, I mean, who knows what. Yeah, I mean, just the way he phrases that luck has been eerily on their side just jumped out to me as, oh, should I be thinking that there's something else to accredit this to? Like, you know, yeah. Are Johannes's genies helping him out in the background or something? I don't know how they work. You know, it could be anything, yeah. but it's just something about the way that line was phrased made me like put my tinfoil hat on because I thought it was telling me to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see, I suppose. Um, so Blake doesn't really have any ideas on how he's going to find the spellbinder. Um, and so for the first time in his life, he decides to stay put, which is uh, an interesting and very un-Blake-like plan, but whatever. <laughs> Um, he, he basically suspects that the Duchamps will figure out that he's hunting down these bad husbands and uh, head to meet the Spellbinder to protect him and Blake can just follow them right to him. Yeah, um, to be fair, the plan of wait and see 
Mm. Like this, this sort of stakeout that happens yeah. is the result of everyone trying to talk him into let's stop. So this is kind of his his like halfway compromise. <laughs> okay, we'll do a stakeout plan. Um, yeah. That isn't how he phrases it, but like you could sort of read it that way. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it works. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's well, a good kind. It's of. a good plan. Um, no, it works. I mean, yeah, I guess kind of is right, but it does. <laughs> it it seems to work at least. <laughs> yeah um and it does give them a chance at like relaxing for a bit which is a very passive non-blake thing to do but i I think it's good yeah um i agree it's a good middle ground it lets him stay on mission but it also uh lets everything relax for a bit which lets us do this great character stuff that we really do in the first like three quarters of this chapter Mm. yeah um so the other thing that happens here is green eyes cozies up to blake and blake kind of uh encourages it like he he <laughs> leans into it right he, and it's yeah, this uh, and figure yeah exactly <laughs> right and, and this uh ship is uh is taking off and i'm really happy for it um, until evan ruins the moment but let's just stay in the <laughs> pre-ruined moment for a little bit oh all right i'm really struggling not to just pull out this whole bit and talk about it um yeah so i think obviously the sort of really meaty part of this bit is the bit where blake kind of acknowledges that he's left enough of his humanity behind that this doesn't freak him out like he thinks it should yeah um and and he's my understanding of his thinking here is he kind of thinks well since this relationship will be so unique because we're both these very unique others um he doesn't really have to worry about the sort of traditional like you know issues he has with relationships like particularly around like physical contact and it being used as as a weapon or a tool um and i mean i want to agree with him because i i i'm kind of getting on board with this ship pretty hard yeah uh but i mean green eyes literally was just used against him like 20 21s before he has this thought um and then obviously there was like the vision in the drains where he was like bat blake in the future and he was with green eyes there. And I don't think that was meant to be like an ideal scenario. So no. I don't know. I want, I want to believe in this, but I have serious concerns about the logic of why Blake thinks this is a good thing here. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just, I can't, I can't not be on board with it. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I do know. I, I am still kind of on board with it. It just feels healthy for Blake to have a not, I don't know, not shitty relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Blake's uh, stakeout, the, the Blake out, let's call it, 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 <laughs> it works. Uh, tens of Duchamps come out of the house and start heading off, uh, and Blake and co. kind of prep to follow them, but unfortunately uh, they seem to notice him, and Sandra uses some magic to have them power walk away really quickly, I guess. Yeah, um, they, they kind of duck off real quick. And and it's like so it's like twenty or more people, right? I think is how yeah. it's how it's phrased. Yeah. Uh so you do immediately sort of get the sense that she sees this as very big and very important and this is yeah. just following on from our talk of special numbers uh that we have that obviously delivers at the end of the chapter. Yeah. Um I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to bring out from this part is uh Blake takes note of the goblin familiar and how it's got the axe back because he left it there on, on purpose because he doesn't want to have to fight this thing again. Um yeah, it's he doesn't want it to come after him for the axe. Yeah, I don't know, because he's like, I don't want to have to fight a goblin of that caliber again. And it's like, I thought he did all right, I guess. I don't know. I mean, mm. you know, compared to, like, this thing didn't seem as bad as the hyena. Um, I don't know. He didn't really beat it. 
it it shot Evan and then he used it to chop off someone's head. Like <laughs> he didn't he I don't think he landed any solid blows on this thing. Yeah, that's true. I wonder how this thing is meant to compare to the hyena on paper. Yeah. I think it's I I seem to feel like it's roughly equivalent. Like yeah. Blake kind of mentioned that you know, the hyena went around collecting trophies in terms of eating other others, and this goblin collects trophies in terms of subjugating others, right? I, mm. they, that feels relatively equivalent to me. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Sandra's little power-walking magic trick here is pretty cool. Uh, in your live read, you mentioned it was like manipulating their connection to space, which I like as a description. And it even gives them a little bit of like color shifting as they speed walk away, which <laughs> yeah. it all just kind of comes together to be a nice bit of magic use that I like. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's sort of happening and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Which is, I think is, is kind of the reaction you want from, from new magic. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But me, me suggesting it was altering the connection to space was just me trying to map, like, Speed Force-esque powers onto enchantments, and that was the best <laughs> I could do. No, I think it works. It's nice. Um, so the Duchamps uh, power walk away, and the Satyrs get the scent and Bloodhound after them. Um, and so Blake's crew catches up to the Duchamps fairly quickly, only to see a strange little scene in the middle of the road. Uh, there are two mags, <laughs> and uh, seemingly the Spellbinder has caught Padrick... Um, allowing Mags to regain her original name, Maggie. This is so much fun to read the second time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did have to throw away all the rants I was preparing on how this undermines everything that went on in Signature and Mm. how this was a huge step back for Mags' journey. Um, Obviously, in retrospect, that was just yet more clues as to what was going on. but yeah, I don't know. I, I love this. I, I think, as I've said before, my favorite twists are the ones that make me feel like an idiot. And here's a nice little quick, <laughs> quick one. Yeah, it's a cool little uh, trap, isn't it? Like from a literary sense, because it obviously packed. We've talked about how a lot of it kind of recontextualizes itself, meaning that you can reread this story endlessly and find more and more things, right? Mm. Um, and, and this is one that happens in the exact, in, in one chapter. So we yep. get to go back and immediately reread it. And there are so many things that work on, 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 you know, these two layers, right? The first layer of how, how does this work with Mags now being Maggie and, and Sandra trying to turn her against Blake. And then how does this work with the actual layer of what's actually happening? Um, and I yep. pulled out an example here where Maggie, when Blake is trying to figure out what, what's going on. Maggie, in air quotes, says, I'm Maggie again, Maggie said. She smiled, but it wasn't the smile that should have gone with the statement. She hugged her arms close to her body. And this is obviously like, it jumps out as being a bit weird, right? Mm. And then you kind of contextualize it three different ways. The first is, oh, well, this is just an awkward situation. So, of course, she'd be a bit off. And then the second is, oh, okay, I understand now. It's because Sandra's trying to turn her against Blake. That makes sense. And then the third one, you're like, oh, it's just it's just Podrick being <laughs> being, <laughs> being tricky with his words. Oh, um, and just and yeah. just enjoying uh, re performing his favorite role. Yeah, um, it's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, much like the first half of the chapter, there's just a dozen bits of this conversation I want to pull out for how brilliant they work on the yeah. second time. Yeah. Um, there's a bit about uh, Maggie saying that she's not getting what she wants in terms of her family, which at first you're like, oh, God, what's happened to her dads? But, of course, what we my understanding now is that poor Drew probably just wants his family killed, uh, mm. but he's not getting that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of bits. 
There's so much good double speak, right? I've, I've pulled out one more that I really liked where Blake says to her, once I mused on how similar we were, I said, we might have even talked about it. Do you remember? You'll have to be more specific, she said, staring down at the weapon, which is just like <laughs> a perfect non-answer because, of course, she can't answer that because she has no fucking clue. And it even feels a bit like Blake is suspecting something's up and is trying to see what she says in response to this. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like he doesn't say, we talked about it. He says, we might have even talked about it. Like, it feels like a <laughs> trap. Um. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't even noticed that. Um, I think my favourite bit from this whole section is where... So Blake talks, talks about his, his philosophy on freedom and how it applies to him and Mags. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting because it definitely, I think, works for both of them. Like, I, I very much agree with this statement that they both want to be free and Blake tends to give up himself, whereas Mags tends to get more pinned down. And I think what's interesting is Podrick doesn't necessarily disagree that this seems to apply to him too. And mm. I think the more I thought on it, like we don't know too much about his backstory, but it kind of seems like he's exiled for being a bit uh, reckless and he doesn't play by the rules. Or like, I, I think I think maybe it does sort of apply. It definitely applies here. He's clearly struck up some sort of deal with Sandra to get out of some trouble with the yeah. fairy court or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he is having to do what they say as part of that deal. So I think I think maybe this description of Pordrig as well as Mags uh, is maybe not too far off. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's what's great about this doublespeak is there's a few times where Podrig says what Mags would say in that situation, like says, mm. agrees with what Blake is saying, or, or because he has to tell the truth, plays into the role and in doing so reveals a bit about himself that is inherently true, which is fun. Like, yeah, exactly. I think the reason he keeps getting to take on the role of Maggie Holt is because maybe there were some similarities there and yeah that's part of what drew them together a bit well i mean they both have preying on her yeah they've both left you know where they grew up they've they've gone somewhere else and now they're kind of cast into a different world than they than they might mm. originally be used to like the, i think there are similarities between the way the two of them act i think they even both have a a love of <laughs> drama and the weirdness right <laughs> yeah 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 i agree um, um yeah. There's also a great bit where Maggie gets really tense when she's handed the goblin weapon, and of course, <laughs> uh, it's because that like that must have been part of the deal just to fuck with Podrick, which I kind of like. Yeah, um, classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Sandra, uh, in exchange for getting her name back, is asking Maggie to turn on Blake, and she almost does before she decides to join Team Blake. And so she's backing away from Sandra to side with her allies before Blake figures it out and holds the hyena to her throat. Twist. It's such good drama. Like, even the second time, I was just <laughs> like, fuck, I love the fairy. Yeah. Like, they're so fun to to read about. Um, yeah, it's so like, good, right? I enjoyed this so much the first time. Like, I think my live read was just me going like, yeah, fuck yeah, Mags, this is great. And then the second time, like, reading through it, I was just like, oh, fucking, this is so good, poor Drink. Like, I'm... I'm eating this up. <laughs> he really puts on a show for us as the spirits, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's this interesting bit where one of the satyrs says, so Green Eyes, like, in this point, sniffs out that it's not Maggie uh, and, and kind of hisses, and this is what clues in Blake that something's going on. And, um, well, not sniffs out that it's not Maggie, but just kind of sniffs out that something's off, right? Uh, yeah. Because I don't think, has Green Eyes actually met Maggie? I'm not sure. No, she mm, maybe anyway. maybe at one point like before like the a, assault some, on the house started at some council meeting thing I don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, one of the satyrs 
responds to what Green Eye says and says, maybe don't bite the allies, the first Satyr said. And this to me is like, if Green Eyes could smell out the that Maggie's off, I guarantee you that the Satyr also could smell this out. <laughs> Which means, again, this is the Satyr just fucking with Blake and trying to get him into shitty situations. <laughs> Which I like. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It's it's a good point. Um, I mean, I guess the thing is, for me, I, we don't know why Green Eyes saw through the Pauldry stuff. Yeah. Um, like, I don't. is it like her super other eyes? Was it... I mean, because my read the first time through when I didn't yet know this was Pauldry was it's after uh, Maggie flashes Blake a winning smile and I just thought Green Eyes was getting very jelly. Mm. Um, that could still be it. Um, I mean, Blake, Blake, because Blake focuses a bit more on the reaction. So we don't know exactly what Green Eyes saw because she doesn't say anything. No. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But I do think you're probably right. The Satyr might have been able to smell past it. You think they would have a fair bit of experience with fairies given they've been allies with the Duchamps for Yes, a while now. and I'm sure that they would have met, like the Satyr almost certainly would have met Mags, whereas I don't think Green Eyes has. So if Green Eyes can yeah. tell something's up, I'm sure the Satyr would have been able to as well. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, twist. Uh oh, it's Podrick again, um, and Blake <laughs> hasn't fallen for the same trick twice, which is good. Good on um, In fact, Blake even says, "Fool me once, shame on me." And Podrick's <laughs> response is like, "Actually, I fooled you a lot in Toronto." <laughs> which, um, um, I mean, that's interesting that Podrick remembers all that. I mean, I feel like that's maybe something. Yeah, true. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it, but it feels like maybe it's something. Yeah. Um, possibly because of the connection, you know, fuckery. There's something going on there. Yeah, the same thing that made Mags immune, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, Blake threatens to kill Pordrig before basically letting him go after he promises to, to fuck off until the contest is over, basically. <laughs> well, actually, they just say until this is over. It's incredibly vague. And yeah. I'm just, nice like, Blake, vague wording against a fairy there. <laughs> you should know better than that. You heard what happened to Mags. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, no, uh, it's it's great. I mean, as, as we've sort of already touched on, this twist is fantastic i can't believe i fell for it again um it's so good yeah um yeah so with that the spell they it's kind of revealed that uh, both the magzas and the spellbinder were all just fairies <laughs> so the spellbinder's gone and blake's not going to get his seventh kill unfortunately um and he tells sandra look i'll drop all this i will actually help you win the lordship if you want on the condition that you stop the arranged duchamp marriages and sandra can't agree to it this is such a this is such a galaxy yeah. brain move like this is so good i i love it yeah um, it's yeah. a it's a real power play right because this is the ultimate way of dealing with the monsters right either you, you mm. say to them i will stop if you promise to not be a monster and sandra can't and it just means that she's obviously going to lose the support of a lot of the duchamps like you, it's hard to imagine the junior council not seeing this and being like oh okay well i'm yeah. done uh yeah i i agree i mean this this fits into the role he's been defining for himself so well like you know he has been doing this thing where he where he goes to chop a lot of people up he mm. at least at the start was giving most of them a chance to prove they weren't monsters and what he does here is he gives sandra the same thing but it's in a very public fashion where he kind yep. of gets to put her on blast with for his seventh win yeah um and she basically kind of has to admit that she's not really any better than him basically i like um it really feels like there's this great sense of like he's bringing these big bad powerful people down 
not just like physically like he doesn't just physically beat them but like he takes the power of their message and just sort of you know brings it down and i mean yeah there was a very similar language used to describe how his dad operates, um, which I think is a very nice sort of connection. Like, you know, <laughs> Barbatorum was all about bringing down power structures or powerful figures, I think was the phrase in like Arc 1. Mm. Uh, and now we kind of see Blake slotting into a role that kind of feels like a mini version of that. He's, he's focusing on the bad ones, so that's good. But uh, yeah, he, he targets... Like, yeah, like, I don't know. There's just something about the way he beats Sandra here. It, it's not that he physically defeated her and killed her he's just completely destroyed her standing Um, yes it's actually it's kind of more brutal right because it's he hasn't killed her he's kind of forced her to confront the reality of what she's actually doing um Mm. which is and and brought it out into the open like yeah we saw we saw so much with you know before it was just about oh i'm turning the husbands on it but even with that conversation between i think it was like joyce and lola yeah like he was bringing stuff that the family has been tactically not talking about yeah up to the surface and so it's kind of like this is the point where it goes from he's turning the husbands against them to i feel like in this conversation i'm assuming there are other duchamps around and this is just where even the family can't stand together anymore yeah it's um, uh yeah it's rough it's rough yeah um and i actually want to touch on why sandra can't say no here why why sandra has to give such an impotent answer because mm. uh, like all i can think of is that she's made so many deals that she is unable to make this commitment to blake i it's not i don't know or i i kind of the obvious answer is that she's just kind of beyond the 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 level of corruption that she should be right. Like that. She's just wants to maintain her power, but I, I kind of don't want to believe that about Sandra. It doesn't seem right. <laughs> Me too. But the thing is, she doesn't say well, if she was in a situation where she'd made too many deals and she wasn't going to be able to do it. Yeah. She could have just said no. Right. Like, unless the deals forbid her from talking about it, which I don't know why they would. So her not yeah. being able to say yes or no to me kind of says that she just isn't in, a, in isn't in a position where she feels like she can promise that, and that kind of says that well, one option is that we get the power and we reinforce it by still doing the marriages. Like I feel like that's sort of the implication of her not being able to say no. Yeah, and that's I mean that's really where she she gets lost. Um, maybe, I think maybe it's that she she doesn't want to say no because she thinks that will even more cause her to lose control of the family. But it seems pretty obvious that what she said was basically the worst thing she possibly could have. Like, if she had done some old mix of, like, no way, I don't negotiate with Abyss monster terrorists or whatever, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's a way to salvage that and still say no. Or not salvage it, but at least, like, you know, give it a PR spin. But she really just falters. Yeah, and I think it's because she, she realizes he's right. Yeah, um, true. And, and I mean, I think that's the thing, like, because you're right. It, like, I, I don't understand why she couldn't just be like, well, well, yes, if that wasn't something that she wanted to be able to do. Because yeah. it's like, obviously, I think the Duchamps are probably going to be on side with it. We also know that a lot of the husbands kind of get tricked into these marriages in a way, like with yeah. the whole heirs business of how all the daughter or it's only daughters and they go to the duchamps yeah so there's like there's probably a lot of husbands who also don't think that this family is a good thing yeah it's just kind of like there's no one who's going to be upset by her saying yes we're going to end the marriage system it hurts everyone i don't think anyone's on board for it 
um and she still can't promise that she won't do it because she might uh, my understanding is she might need it to consolidate her power after she's won and that's just and that's why it falls apart (sighs) it's sad it's sad um anyway Blake, uh, with that, has achieved his seventh win over the Duchamps. Six kills and one fucking devastation. <laughs> um, and with that, he leaves the family to presumably fall apart. Yeah, I mean, so next up, Johannes, right? Yeah. Is, is that what we're thinking? Yeah, no. I mean, the Bahames have been kind of sort of dealt with. Uh, we'll see. They're at least on Team Thorburn now. Um, yeah. The Duchamps feel like, like, this feels like it's pretty final for the Duchamps as a family. Um, it, yeah, it really does. I'm I'm sort of walking away from this chapter with the impression that they're they're done. I mean, obviously they're still around. We just talked about how Blake has defeated them in a way that doesn't mean that he has to kill any yeah. more of them. Yeah. Uh but it feels like they're out of the bid for power now. Like it, it kind of feels like they're going to be maybe players. Like they might team up with someone else. I don't know, but they're they're not a force on their own anymore. Yeah, and it kind of feels to me like. Now that that's done, now that the stuff with Alistair has gone down and now that the senior Duchamps have been taken out, the junior council is really in an interesting position, right? Because it, you can only imagine that, that, you know, the Lolas and the other Duchamps that are younger are going to not be on Team Duchamp anymore. And mm. that means they're going to lean more into the, the junior council. And that seems like it's where Alistair is going too. And now he has the full weight of the Bahames behind him. Like, I don't know. It would be interesting to see what happens next with the junior council. Yeah, well, because they were struggling to get the, the deal signed before because um, people wanted to see whether uh, whether Dice would land a bit. And now yeah. like, you can just imagine the chat room is going to be all the Duchamps being like, okay, let's sign this agreement. And all the Bahames <laughs> will be like, fuck off. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see where the junior council and particularly Alistair uh, as kind of a member of that uh, go from here. And uh, not to mention the Thorburns, who, as far as we know, are kind of now also in the junior <laughs> council. Right? Yeah. Assuming they haven't got banned yet for yeah. being dickheads. <laughs> but even, um, like obviously Rose is now somewhere yeah. in the mix and presumably if she goes in and sees Ellie, Peter and Christoph, she'll at least be like, okay, let's find out more about what's going on here. I don't know. I, it just, I, I want to get back into that chat room to see what's going on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, this is, uh, we already talked about this as my list of, I want to know what Rose and Alistair have been doing all night. Yeah. Um, I don't, unless it's, you know, consuming stuff um yeah, yeah exactly um i want to know what uh like the rest of the thorburns and, and the cabal have been up to um corviday he's on that list too mm. um toronto as well someday i want to go back to toronto and see what the fuck uh, all the imps and stuff are up to yep and the knights of the basement and the astrologer all those good folks yeah exactly um, anyway so that's the end of the chapter and actually it's about to be the end of the arc as well we've got the interlude next chapter but this Mm. is the end of the uh the main stuff yeah uh i'm looking forward to an interlude i have absolutely no idea what it's going to be about yeah do you want to give a prediction who do you think we're focusing on um well so assuming it is a histories um and we're focusing in on someone I don't know, it could be Tiff. Tiff would be my optimistic oh, guess. Oh, yeah. All right. I could see that. Um, just because that introduces us to where the, the Cabal's up to. And also, we had those hints last arc about her past that I'd love more info on. So, this is kind of my wish slash guess would yeah. be a Tiffany interlude. All right. Cool. Um, but before we go, uh, before we wrap up fully, uh, it's uh, time to review the answers to our discussion question. 
So this discussion yes. question was, uh, the world of Pact is a world of systems. Games are also things made of systems. Which parts of Pact would make for good games or video games, and which parts would be bad? Yeah, not many people focused on that latter part, actually, which I'm kind of okay with. Um, yeah, people focused that's... a lot on either games that already felt like they meshed with the systems of Pact, or yeah. specific systems that would make really interesting games, which I, I really liked as a as a, as a a discussion question. I really liked reading about people jumping onto one of their favorite systems in Pact and extrapolating it out into a card game or a video game or something. It was awesome. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun reading these. I, I really need to get into the Reddit threads more often, so I'm not reading them all four days later, because um, it would have been great to talk to people about some of these ideas. Yeah. Um, but let's let's get into them, I guess. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about was from um, Brawl97, uh, who sort of focused on the idea of like the practitioner world politics um and like how great that could be for a sort of sim sim type game um mm. or they, they also mentioned a visual novel and i actually quite liked the visual novel idea i i don't play visual novels like I, i've sort of seen a couple and it's not really my thing but i've got to admit i, I think it would be a good fit for pact um in, in some ways because I, I i think i think the thing i associate visual novels with a bit is like a sort of choose your own adventure type thing like i mm. guess i'm probably thinking more along the lines of like a telltale game but without the point and click bits that are just annoying anyway <laughs> uh but like I, I like that idea of navigating the the world of pact through these kinds of prompts that you have the choices of picking yeah totally um i think it's a really cool idea i really like the idea of there's complicated politics here. Actually, I think Brawl97 described it as a complex web of fuckery, which is very <laughs> on point. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, it, but like, I think just just the angle of everyone has to tell the truth mm. is is almost enough of a gimmick. And maybe that exists somewhere in visual novels. I don't know, but like, I think that's enough of a gimmick for something like a visual novel or Telltale type game to just stand out as a packed one. Like, just that that thing where you know people are telling the truth and you have to navigate that web of fuckery yeah definitely um i want to pull out an answer by 1945 uh who <laughs> who basically said it was talking about the rule of three and how it would be a great system for leveling in an rpg in a non-experience points kind of way so like every time you do something the third time you do it you get better at it so you kill three goblins and after you kill your third goblin you have like a plus one to killing goblins right um, mm. I sort of, it's a really interesting thing because I've actually played a few role-playing games, like pen and paper role-playing games that have systems like this, where uh, instead of allocating skill points, you kind of naturally become better at the things you do more often. And I think it leads to some really interesting mechanics. So I quite like the idea of, um, of this rule of three, or even <laughs> what Blake seems to do is, uh, <laughs> is, uh, do something twice and then hold the third one in your pocket for when you need it, yeah. which I think would be a really interesting mechanic as well. Well, I think the really interesting thing about the rule of three impact is it's not just that you do it three times and it's better. It's that the third one is more important. Yeah. So like a game that also kind of punishes you for losing the third one could be interesting. Yeah. Um, like, like you, you would like, again, that would feed into your idea of holding and pocketing the third one because it becomes more important. And if you fuck it up, that's also not good. So, you know, depending on when you spend the third one, you might get rewarded or punished yeah more and then that could lead to very like adaptive sort of gameplay where you have to change your play style based on how like a chance encounter went against your third goblin or something yeah exactly i think it's a really interesting idea to lead to some emergent gameplay so i just thought it was pretty cool 
Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up one by Sir Psycho. Um, and, and I'm just going to talk about Megafire 7's answers here, answer here as well, because they both sort of talked about uh, Dishonored, the yeah. game. Uh, Two separate people both made references to how systems impact uh, remind them of Dishonored. Yeah, it was, it was funny. When I read uh, Sir Psycho's first, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, and then, of course, Megafire brought up because they're both right. Like uh, the, the chaos system in Dishonored, which for those who don't know, um, it, it's a kind of karma-esque system in the game. But what happens is uh, as you play, basically, the game tracks how much chaos everything you do causes. So, you know, if you uh, get an enemy to shoot their teammates or something and break a bunch of like stuff in the scene, uh, that adds more chaos. And then that affects what other characters think of you, how the later missions are structured based on how much chaos you've sowed in the area, kind of like a, a radiation-esque thing. Mm. Um, but it's a bit it's it's a bit more unique, I think, than just the, like, some games will have, like, good karma, bad karma. Yeah. Uh, Dishonored really stands out with this concept of chaos and how it, it actually kind of feels a bit more like packed karma. Um, so, like, yeah, I actually think this is probably one of the closest I can think of is to, to somebody implementing a packed-ish type system in a game, I guess. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's it definitely seems like a pretty cool analogy. Um, something I also really liked about Sir Psycho's answer is the, the vibe of this past arc of Blake just hunting down different husbands has felt a lot like a video game already, where it's like each chapter is a different level, you've got to figure out what the husband does and then kind of set up the scenario that allows you to kill them. It does kind of feel like a fun, if gruesome, uh, video game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it kind of does feel dishonoredy in a way, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to pull out an answer by Beard of Valor as well, which I thought was very cool. They they touched on uh, the thing that we haven't seen in a while now, but back uh, before Blake became a full-on monster, um, his tattoo would change based on what he thought was his karma at the time, right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, Beard of Valor pulls that out as quite a fun way to represent some of these systems, like a chaos system or a, you know, more traditionally like a good or bad system in, in the kinds of games that offer those branching paths. Mm. Uh, but but in a way that feels uh, integrated and not just like a bar that you look at to see like oh how good yeah. is my character um i like the fuzziness you could add with that like uh you know i think the game when i think of good and bad karma the game that jumps to my mind that i've played is infamous which mm. yeah just had a thing in the top that showed you how far along good versus bad karma you were and it was just yeah. like a you know a needle going up and down i like the idea of a something that obscures the specifics a bit more from the player and has to leave them guessing a bit particularly if they're not immediately familiar with what is going to be good or bad karma yeah like if, you, if you threw me into the world of pact without context i would probably get a lot of things wrong about what's good and bad karma or what just doesn't matter because they're very different values to karma yeah um, uh, the other thing i really like about it is if you put this system actually into the game in a in a more authentic way it means you can mess with the players a bit more right like because yeah i mean in pact blake thinks it's a measurement of his karma but it's really something slightly different which is a measurement of how infested with spirits he is right yeah um, yeah and i i love the idea of having a twist on what a player thinks is one mechanic but actually it turns out it's another mechanic i think that'd be really cool yeah i can see that working um but it, like i think you could even just stick to if you had fuzzy karma um like you know so through some sort of imprecise measuring thing on the screen and then built a game around encouraging you to like gather karma but not hoard it um yeah. 
Like, you know, we've talked about how opportunistic others like Blake uh, will come and find you if you've got too much good karma and, and take care of it. <laughs> um, so, like, building the system around gathering karma but then also spending it uh, yeah. and not, not wanting to hoard too much. Like, I think that could be really fun. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I guess I'll pull out one more, which was uh, by a user called Monkmoo, who talked about how the concept of... Um, I forget what the word is, like being an artificer or, or even just like summoning spirits and, and managing spirits and goblins that turn into tools would be a really fun mm. uh, like deck building card game. Um, yeah. And they gave an example of having cards like summoning an ice ghost and, uh, or sorry, using the ice and ghost cards to create something like June and then binding that into a hatchet card to make yourself a little trinket that you can use in the game. It's like a fun little deck building mechanic that I really kind of liked the idea of. Yeah. I mean, I could even see it going a little bit beyond artificing to just uh you could have other specialties too like you could be like creating an other or something you know yeah like totally with, with um you know some branch cards human bone cards and a, a you know suicidal tendencies card you could create a blake an affinity for uh, birds card <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh yeah I, I like i could see i could see that working um i think as Mu discusses you would have to like the real trick here would be balancing the game um and and sort of making sure it doesn't just spiral out of control complexity yes yeah. uh but yeah i don't know i thought it was a good idea yeah i, I just want to pull out one more from um nov nov alistar um, <laughs> nov alistair <laughs> uh who, who talked a bit about the idea of like trying to put uh an audience type thing as the spirits so they gave the example oh yeah like, this was a Twi- cool one twitch plays pokemon uh talking about how you know you could sort of have a player so you know the sort of example um that they briefly discuss is if you had a streamer and then the audience were acting as the spirits getting to make judgment calls in the game um and i think like you know games that incorporate the audience via twitch is something that is sort of like you know some games are starting to do that yeah um and i think there's obviously a lot of consideration you have to make there because like you know it's very easy to end up with a shit audience, for example. Like, you know, we all remember Twitch plays Pokemon, um, the, the PC. Uh, so you, you'd have to have some management. But um, I, I don't know. I thought this was a pretty cool idea. Uh, like, uh, Navalster moves into a lot more talking about, like, maybe having an MMO where yeah. people can log in as spirits yeah, uh, which... and make decisions on what other players are doing, which, again, like, feels very abusable but if you could somehow build it so that it's not i think it could be a really cool idea well i actually think it would work better if instead of having an mmo where you can either play as a practitioner and have all those classes or a spirit and have some other classes like i would actually if i was going to make a game like this have it be separate games have some people play an mmo and then other people are playing a different game where they're just the spirits right and it 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 kind of reminds me of um games like league of legends that had crowdsourced moderation so if you're not aware, they used to have a thing called the tribunal where you could basically you would act as a moderator. You'd watch like replays where people were banned and you would vote on whether they had done the thing that they were not banned, but reported. Sorry. And you would vote on like, did they do the reportable offense that they've been flagged for? And so it was like a community organized mm. moderation thing, which actually they ended up discontinuing it because it had its own set of problems. But I reckon those problems would actually accentuate and make it work better <laughs> for something like Pact where the spirits are fallible. Yeah, or well, especially I don't know, like maybe this isn't the right fit for Pact, but if you had a game where there was an acknowledged like twenty four hour delay in getting 
the results of your karma mm. then like you could make that work if if that's asynchronous um yeah yeah i think that would be quite cool um anyway some great answers that people left uh, so thanks yeah. everyone for doing that uh yeah that was that was a really fun discussion uh but it is it is monday which means it's time for a new discussion question yay uh and, and so i i've written this one admittedly kind of on the assumption that we're right and the duchamps are, are gone now um and so this discussion question is should blake be proud of how he took down the uh, the duchamp family yeah, let's make a moral judgment. We're the spirits, we're the analogy for the spirits in this story. So let's judge, is Blake in the right with how he handled this whole Duchamp situation? Yeah, because I think, I, like, I don't know, I, I, I don't think anyone's going to make the case that it was a flawless victory. Mm. Um, but I'd be interested to see people's takes on, do does the good outweigh the bad? Yeah. Did he do the right thing, I guess is the question. Yes. Uh, speaking of doing the right thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was waiting for it. <laughs> speaking of doing the right thing, if you want to check out some other great podcasts on the Doof Media Network, head on over to doofmedia.com where you can check out great shows like Do the Right Thing. Uh, yes, I also think uh, either very soon or it's just happened, uh, another episode of mm, What You Say is coming out, which uh, we obviously always plug that show. It is fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, killer. Um, if you want to leave your thoughts on this chapter, or indeed leave your answer to our discussion question, you can do so in our discussion thread, which we linked in the show notes down below. Yep. And if you don't like uh, Reddit, you can head on over to Twitter and hit us up at, at MediaMD Podcast. Yes, I did actually tweet a packed meme today. So true to you our did. word, there are now packed memes on our Twitter feed. <laughs> um, for... Hold on, I'm, uh, hold on. I'm just, I'm just looking up Twitter. Yeah. All right. Yeah, just look it up. Live live check it now. Everyone go to twitter.com forward slash MediaMD podcast <laughs> and check out this great meme for yourself. Oh, yes. Okay. I did see this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good meme. Good yeah. meme, everyone. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. check it out. Um, <laughs> if you like uh, memes or Wabo discussion, great place to get your fix of either is on the Doof Media Discord, which you can gain access to if you're a patron uh, of Doof Media. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes surprise um so head on over to patreon.com forward slash do for media to join the community today yep uh and while you're there swing by patreon.com forward slash while sorry patreon.com forward slash wabo throw him some money too and then he'll write more stories and you know good yep yeah exactly <laughs> right exactly right elliot um but that's the end of our episode uh but don't worry we'll be back for an interlude pretty soon in fact on friday the 29th of november for execution 13.x so you, we will see you then see ya